Nature's Edge. This is Dale Stewart. We've got an interesting program today, and the name of the show today is Save the Earth, Become a Capitalist. Whether by accident or by design, the environmental movement has increasingly turned to blaming capitalism for polluting the earth. While it's true that the Industrial Revolution, a child of capitalism, without a doubt produced modern pollution, it's wrong to polarize the argument against the capitalist system. The idea that green and capitalist are absolutely opposite shows a misunderstanding of the free markets and a lack of faith in the individual. Today's show, these are the very things we're going to talk about. And our guest, Peter Cruel, Peter is he's the president and founder of Cruel & Company. Uh, they are a leading socially and environmentally responsible investment management firm based in Asheville, North Carolina. And Peter founded the firm back in 2004 to give investors an opportunity to invest uh, with their values. He is an outspoken advocate of the environment and social issues and a well-known figure in the green business community. Peter truly walks the walk. He believes in giving back to his communities and has served a number of different roles, including being the current board chairman of Mountain True, the premier environmental advocacy group in western North Carolina. Peter's also a friend and a buddy of mine and, uh, and a capitalist. Peter, welcome <laughs> to Nature's Edge. Thank you, Dale. It's good to be here. You know, um, so many people, as I said in the entry, you know, you know, they look at, at capitalism uh, as a as a no no almost uh, for those of us that, that that also are very involved in the environmental issue. And I'm just curious, um, what do you say to people when they when they talk to you about that? Well, you know, there's a there's there, there's obviously two sides of this. There's pure capitalism, which is um, profits and everything else be damned, and there is what I think you could probably call pragmatic capitalism, which takes a look at look at um, all different sides of, of the issues. Uh, one of my favorite books that I typically refer to when we talk about uh, responsible investing is, and it's got a great name. It's called Firms of Endearment, yeah. which is a nice takeoff from uh, from the movie. But they what they look at is not shareholder value, but stakeholder value. So what actually is important when it comes to a company, it is everything from the suppliers, it is the customers, it's the employees, it's the community. It's a number of different metrics that actually make a company better. And in this book, what they do is they look at the performance of companies that have a social conscience and an environmental conscience and compare them to you know, either the S&P 500, so just basic companies. Uh, also compare them to the good to great companies and they consistently performed better because they treated people better, they treated the earth better, and they had a better business model. What, uh, what exactly is green investing? I mean, I, you, you kind of touched on it there mm -hmm. a little bit, but, but uh, uh, what does what being a green investor really mean? Well, I'm going to spread that out just a little bit to be a responsible investor because the way we look at things is it's not just green, it's also it's environmental, but it's also social issues as well, because companies can play a really important part in, in pushing uh, both environmental and social change. So the way we look at it is we, we have two basic uh, means to invest for clients. One way that we look at it is using mutual funds. And what these funds do for us is a couple things. Number one is they screen out the worst-in-class companies, the ones who are spilling oil in the Gulf, the ones who are um, patenting our food stocks, companies like that. 
Uh, on the other side of that, they screen in the companies that are best in class, the ones who are focused on alternative energies, the ones who are focused on organic and natural foods, uh, green building, things like that. The problem that you find is that there are only so many companies that are called best in class or that would be best companies. And so what happens is we take a look, or our, our fund families take a look at what are the companies that are in the middle. They're not the best in class, but they're not the worst either. And they use something called shareholder advocacy. So in other words, they engage with companies to push them to be better corporate citizens. Now, that might mean everything from uh, transparency, which is a really big one right now in terms of not just like CO2 emissions, but also political contributions. Ever since Citizens United happened, corporations have been pouring millions and millions of dollars into political campaigns. And it's fine, it's the law, but at least let's be transparent about where that money is going. So shareholder advocacy is the second part of what we would call responsible investing. The third is community investing. And that is making sure that money stays in local communities and nurtures local communities. Now, that might be making a choice to not use one of the big multinational banks and instead choosing a small uh, credit union that instead of shipping money off somewhere else to, say, fund a, a tar sands mine, that stays in a local community and nurtures a local business. That, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I think, you know, there seems to be a, I know from my own personal perspective, there seems to be a, uh, a lot more people that are becoming more aware of, of so-called green investing or yeah. social uh, uh, investing and, and so forth. And one of the other things that I've been interested in, not only is, Startup companies, environmentally uh, 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 friendly or green startup companies and larger companies. But, um, Peter, is it possible for people without a lot of money to, to get involved with this type of investing as well? It is. Um, we typically work with higher net worth investors, but there are a number of fund families that you can simply Google socially responsible investing, um, and they will open up accounts for as little sometimes as 500 bucks. So there really is access for everybody. So instead of having to own companies that, you, that may not be in alignment with your values, um, that will actually you know, um, produce the same type of returns and at the same time uh, have, you know, have the type of companies that you want to own. The, uh, one of the things, too, is you know, we know that capitalism is driven by profit, and, and, and profit seems to be a, a bad word in, in uh, in the natural world out there, uh, but in fact, it, it sort of looking at um, where that where that capitalism, where that company is really putting their money, and sort of talking the talk or walking the walk. Right? There's a false dichotomy between um, profit and environment. There, there really is. What we've seen as as the CNBCs of the world and the immediate news cycle has. Um, became more and more prevalent, we have seen companies shortening their their view, I guess you could say. So it's not about building a long-term company. It's about what your quarterly profits are going to be, are going to look like. It's about what your weekly sales numbers look like. And that is not how you build a long-term good investment. If you, if you're a company and you're investing for the long-term, you're not only looking at what I'm going to do this quarter, you're looking at what I'm going to do next year, the following year and the following decade. And if a company is investing in environmentally friendly practices, they may not see a return on investment in the first year. And so managers and CEOs 
who are able to see past that short-term uh, profit and look for the longer-term development of a better company are the ones who are going to you know, eventually make it and uh, you know, be a better investment in the long term. That, uh, again, that, that uh, adds some clarity to what I think a lot of people, because again, it, it's, I get asked all the time, uh, uh, you know, the, the question of, well, Dale, you're an environmentalist, but, but we also know that, you know, you, you invest in companies, you own companies, you have companies, so you're also a capitalist, and they, they have a, a terrible time getting their head around, around the two. Right, right. Uh, we actually, over the last several months, have been certified as a B corporation or a benefit corporation. And basically what that says is that um, we are not only doing what's right for us as a corporation, but we're also doing what's right for our community. They take and judge us based on where we source our products from or our, you know, our supplies and things like that. Where do we get our energy from? And, you know, if more companies looked to become B corporations or at least be B corporation certified, um, I think we would continue to see this trend. And we are because it's, it's a fast growing um, uh, segment. You are listening to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart and our guest today, Mr. Peter Cruel. Peter is president and founder of Cruel & Company. They are a leading socially and environmental responsible investment management firm, and uh, we will be back right after these messages. Nature's Edge is Dale Stewart. Our guest today is Peter Crow. Peter uh, is a uh, in the investment management business, and we are talking about the relationship between uh, green investing or social uh, investing and uh, environmental concerns. And and one thing as we as we get into that, uh, we we've been talking about how how the two are not necessarily uh, exclusive of. Uh, uh, of one another, and uh, Peter, what what role does does uh, government or, or legislation have in in all of this? Or? Not a whole lot, actually. Um, obviously, there are regulations that are meant to keep companies on the straight and narrow. Everything from um, you know environmental regulations you can't dump in. Um, uh, in rivers, Clean Water Act, basically Clean Air Act, but there are only there are only so many there there's only so much they can do. There are limits to it, uh, and we don't necessarily have a um, group that is excited about limiting companies, especially on the environmental side. And so, you know, we take a look at it from the perspective that as shareholders we have a voice, and we can go to a company and say, you know what we don't need you dumping your effluent into in, into the river. Um, you know, with the EPA and with regulations on emissions uh, that have been, you know, that's been a, a real issue of late. You know, it's nice to see them taking a stand, but shareholders have actually been, you know, rather loud in these areas. Yeah, the, uh, uh, you know, all, I, I don't personally believe that all big companies uh, are, are out to, to pollute the earth. And right. uh, and and there are different levels of uh, 
of companies out there. And I think one of the things that a lot of people don't understand about big companies is that they are, in fact, uh, for profit, and they right. they do have a, a responsibility to their shareholders and their stakeholders. Um, uh, having said that, um, you guys, I guess, w- when you're uh, analyzing a company uh, to include in, in I guess, a, a green portfolio, is, mm-hmm. is there such a thing, I guess? That, that for the most part, yeah. yeah. Um, there's actually... Um, I'm, we we have one portfolio called our, our Green Sage Sustainability Portfolio, and you know we've been running that for about a year and a half, and that is a fund that only includes companies that have sustainability as part of their core mission. Now that might be alternative energy, it might be water technologies, uh, natural and organic products, uh, green building, just a number of different areas there. Um, it also has uh, some financials. We're starting to see companies that are associated in the financial industry that are taking a stand, especially on climate change. You look at insurance companies right mm-hmm. now. Um, they are, they, especially European insurance companies, have been ahead of the curve in terms of recognizing the risks associated with climate change liability. So if I'm a company and I am, uh, spe- again, especially in Europe, putting out a whole bunch of CO2 into the atmosphere and there are uh, regulations in place, that is a risk. Uh, If I am an insurance company and I'm having to insure um, uh, buildings and things that are on a coast with sea level rise and the growing intensity of storms, it's going to cost them more money. And so what we're seeing is a lot of insurers are actually raising premiums on companies because there is some implicit risk in the way they do business. And so you know, not just shareholders, but insurance companies are starting to push companies to be better players as well. That that makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you about. Uh, I, I know here lately um, something that that hits home to a lot of people is is oil prices have been dropping. Mm-hmm. Although I saw today they were they were back up a little bit. But um, how do, how does the the dropping in oil how does that affect uh, alternative energy like uh, like solar or wind? It's obviously negative, you know. It's obviously negative because, you know, people are still putting food on the table for their families, you know. People are going to look at it and see, well, you know what, I can spend a little bit more or I can take that trip or I can, um, I don't necessarily need to put that solar on the roof because prices are a little bit lower. But that, again, is a short-term thinking as well. Um, You know, we look at oil prices in 2014 dropped almost 50 percent. I mean, that's absolutely crazy. You know, at the same time, uh, alternative energy, you know, we use use a particular, uh, it's called the Wilder Hill Clean Energy Index, and there is an exchange-traded fund that tracks that. And that particular fund was down about 15 percent. So there isn't a direct correlation between that, but there definitely is an impact. And, you know, I find it really interesting. Uh, a lot of these companies that are doing fracking and tar sands, um, the smaller players tend to be um, undercapitalized. And so they are a lot riskier companies. And, you know, with oil prices dropping to the levels that they're at, it's actually costing them more to produce a barrel of oil than they can sell the barrel of oil for. And so they're having to pay huge amounts of interest on debt that they took out to extract this energy. And so I think you're going to see some interesting times, assuming that prices stay low, in especially in North Dakota, where a lot of these companies are working. Mm. Um, it also puts the XL pipeline into a, a, a huge question because it takes a lot of money to extract a barrel of oil in Alberta. And if it's not 
economically feasible, then we it, it's not a needed pipeline. It, it's not a needed pipeline, anyways. But that being said, it doesn't make it economically feasible either. You know, those are those are great points. But I want is is this is green investing. Uh, do you have to be a little more aggressive? Is it a more aggressive type of investing? No, I don't. I, it's not a more aggressive type of investing, uh, and I can't give speci- cannot give specific details on returns. Sure. Because every client and every every person is different in terms of what their risk levels are and mm-hmm. such. But when you look at again, this is more on a, on a responsible investing side as opposed to specifically green. I, I'll address that in a second. You know, the majority of our clients are middle of the road, not overly aggressive folks, and using the mutual fund families that we have, we're able to structure portfolios that are equivalent in terms of risk versus return as if you went to any one of the the, the big broker dealers and picked out a, I don't want to say a, a, a sin portfolio, but one that is a little less responsible. On the green side, yes, it is typically going to be a little bit more on the aggressive side. And the reason being that these aren't multi-billion dollar companies, and so they are having to not only compete with the big boys, but also compete with each other. Uh, you know, we've seen uh, a lot of volatility, especially in the solar industry. Yeah. Uh, it's good for us consumers because the prices per kilowatt of solar continues to drop and drop and drop, and so it mm-hmm. makes it a lot more feasible. But at the same time, what that's doing to the companies that are producing those solar panels is shrinking their margins more and more. What about government subsidies? I'm a fan of government subsidies on these because, of course, I, I have six kilowatts on my roof that you know helped helped fund that. Um, As do I. So, yes, yeah. there you go. Um, but at the same time, what's happening is that um, the price per kilowatt is continuing to drop. It is making it a lot more affordable, and you got companies out there like Solar City that are not necessarily selling you solar panels, but leasing you solar panels. So you don't have to pay that upfront uh, huge amount. Now, granted, they've got the government subsidies flowing to them as opposed to flowing to the consumer. But in the end, we just want to see more panels on roofs. We want to see more clean energy being produced. And you know, the, the subsidies are going to go away over time because the prices are going to be at par if they're not already. I know I read a an article recently said that they are approaching par with fossil fuels. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I read that same article. I, I know a year or so ago there was there was a lot of uh, 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 press uh, concerning several of the uh, larger solar panel manufacturers, if you will, that were getting government subsidies that were, that, that were not doing so well. Uh, and um, I'm, I'm just curious in your mind, was, is, is that more of a management problem or, or? That's a market problem. Yeah, that's you know. I, yeah. But here's the thing. Anybody who complains about government subsidies for uh, solar needs to take a look at the government subsidies that go to fossil fuels, which are uh, exponentially greater. And so, especially when you consider the externalities that they do not calculate in. Yeah, and you know, and I think that's something that a lot of my listeners aren't aware of. Right. Uh, and a lot of people aren't aware of uh, that there are sub- subsidies. Tremendous uh, subsidies. Huge subsidies yeah. uh, all throughout that. This is Dale Stewart with Nature's Edge, and we're going to be back after this message. And when we get back, we're going to talk a little more about uh, green investing with Peter Cruel.
Welcome back to Nature's Edge. This is Dale Stewart. We're sitting here uh, talking to Peter Cruel and uh, about uh, uh, green investing, and and, uh, and we're also talking to uh, my great producer, Miss Leslie, who is rushing through today because she's got a uh, Dale. Something is going on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. I will let you know after the next show about what's going on with with Miss Leslie. There, there's too much fun going on behind oh, the absolutely. scenes here. There's, there's something something else happening that that uh, Peter and I are not aware. Of. Peter, we were talking about uh, uh, investing and and how how you can save the earth and and uh, also be a capitalist. Uh, I want to talk a little bit just just briefly about microfinance loans is yeah. that is, does that play a role in in what you're doing or what's going on out there not directly in what we, in terms of what we do i mean we're a strong supporter of, of microfinance and you know muhammad yunus was yeah. the, the individual who really really uh, got that ball rolling and one of the fund families actually several of the fund families we use but calvert in particular has a, uh, a foundation where you can actually buy uh, some bonds with them that go to support microfinance. So it's in some of the investments we use. Uh, so indirectly, we, we definitely support that. But I think, you know, from, from, a, um, from a microfinance perspective, we like local. And so, you know, when you go to your local credit union, uh, a lot of what you're doing is microfinance because that money stays Absolutely. in your community yeah. and it goes to that shopkeeper. It goes to that person opening a restaurant. In, in my mind, that's where we have to start. Yes, it's important that we're sending off, um, you know, our Kiva donations and some of these other things where, you know, you've got folks who are who can build a business on 500 bucks. And what I've always found interesting is, from a microfinance perspective, the number of delinquencies and um, the amount of people who don't pay their money back is much, much, much smaller than here in the United States because here credit is sort of disposable. You know what? If I don't pay it back, I'll, I'll file bankruptcy. Right. There's a pride thing associated with with more emerging market microfinance, and and I do like that aspect of it. Yeah, you know, we and and you mentioned it a little earlier though. It seems that we are in a culture right now of of wanting something immediate. Absolutely, you know, we want that, and we and we do not tend to look very far in the future. Uh, and, and I actually see this uh, with some uh, some startup companies that I look at too. They they you know they want to get to a certain point real quick and and we, either sell or get out. We discussed this a couple months ago talking yeah, about a business plan. You know, yeah. and and. You know, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to probably I'm going to take just a sort of um, uh, uh, side angle here, I guess you could say. And you know, one of the things that I find, at being a financial advisor, that people do not uh, focus on is things like estate planning. Um, and granted, this is not a green or responsible thing, but this is important for people to think about: is what's going to happen when you walk out and get hit by that bus? Uh, you know, there's folks that I know that you know have several children who don't have a will in place, who don't have these things in place. And we have a hard time uh, focusing and, 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 and uh, accepting our own mortality sometimes. And, you know, so that's just, a, again, that's not necessarily on our topic, but it's so important to bring up because I've had to deal with it with clients uh, actually multiple times over the past two to three years. And, you know, if, this, if, if me saying this on the show today gets one person to go to an attorney and drop their will or a trust or whatever it is, then, you know, the whole thing is worth it. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I, and I certainly am aware of that. I mean, as my listeners know and as you know, uh, 
you know, I came out of the world of sort of extreme uh, exploration, and oftentimes I was gone for months at a time in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I, I know a number of years ago, uh, uh, my wife, uh, an attorney, uh, our financial investor, and some other things, uh, wound uh, wound up making me sit down and, and do yeah. some very specific planning, um, mainly because, uh, it, as crazy as it sounds, Catherine didn't want to have to wait seven years to declare me dead if I didn't come back from That's Amazon right. or something. So it was something that that was that was forced on me. But again, as you say, most people don't look at don't look at that long term thing. Absolutely. They look at immediate. And if something hasn't happened, they're they're not going to think about it. Right. You know, they they just uh, just don't do it. But let me ask you uh, something. If if you can talk about, it, I, I don't know. Uh, what about returns? Yeah. Uh, as it relates, I to, can speak in some generalities yeah, about it. Please. Do. Again, because every client is different. Absolutely. Um, when we put our uh, portfolios and let's look at our at the individual mutual funds that we use in our portfolios against their individual benchmarks so something that is say uh, large domestic companies they would be measured against an S&P 500 something that is uh, international would be measured against something called EAFE uh, um, index we are consistently competitive with our benchmarks period Uh, it used to be the um, the uh, rumor, if you will, was that if you're going to invest with your values, it's somewhat philanthropic. And to a certain extent, that was true. If you go back into the 70s and 80s, and if you can stereotype the Birkenstockware and tree-hugging person trying to manage stocks, they did not perform as well. That's true. But as this industry, uh, socially responsible and socially and environmentally responsible uh, investing industry has matured, we have got better and better, more professional investment managers. And there's a reason why it is it has consistently been the fastest growing segment of the overall investing industry. It's partly because people want to invest with their values, but it's also because the returns are competitive. If I sat down with you and I said, we can invest in traditional investments where you'll own big oil and you'll own um, companies that aren't in alignment with your values, or we can we can invest you in the way that we do, which is socially environmentally responsible. And there's not going to be a drop off in terms of returns. Why wouldn't you do it? And that happens every day. Yeah, that and that and that makes a lot of sense. And and looking at that, and I and I will honestly say, uh, uh, just just. Uh, for the sake of saying things, I mean, for years I was invested in in some of the big oils and some of the big things because that's that's where I was put, that's right. where the return was, that's where my dad was, you know. So you 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 kind of grow up looking at looking at that world. Uh, but as I did get older and and, and got uh, more involved, uh, I did begin begin to say, well, if 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 with what little money I've got, if I'm going to put it somewhere, I'm going to put it somewhere. That also goes along right. with with my personal beliefs. There's a, there's a lot of legacy, I guess you could say, investing that goes on where you know people pass trusts down, and you know it's filled with companies that have nothing to do with this next generation that they, they, they don't want to be associated with. And we we work with a lot of folks uh, on inheritances and trusts, um, you know, that get passed down. The um, uh I forgot absolutely what I was going to ask you next, Peter, but that's not what, unusual. What, what's it, in that water bottle I, there? I, well, it's, uh, it, it's my medicine. Uh, <laughs> I'm rec- <laughs> recovering from the recovering from the flu, and I had to uh, 
mix up a special a uh, little bit of an ingredient there to get through the day but uh, we all have to do what we have to do absolutely it's it's it kind of comes with it uh, i wonder what it was uh 2014 was was a pretty good year for the market uh 2014 was a good year for large companies in the United States. Yes. Um, some of the numbers, I, I think, are interesting because what happens is we, we, we see the news and we see that the Dow is up and we see that the S&P is up. And it's, you know, the S&P for uh, 2014 was up almost 13.5%, give or take. But what it doesn't say is when you look at international uh, developed markets, it was actually down uh, over 6%. And why should I care about that? Because if you have a well-rounded portfolio, you're going to have a little bit of everything. There you go. Um, because what's, what happens is maybe next year the, the domestic stocks are not up and the international is. And so that's what we do as advisors is help put that together for you. Um, you know, and oil, of course, of course. Oil was down tremendously last year, uh, and it's continuing to be down. Alternative energy was down a little bit, but the year before that, it was up tremendously was up, as yeah. well. And so that's, that's you know, where, where an advisor comes and, and makes a big difference. And so what I typically tell people, especially clients, is turn off CNBC and, you know, focus on what you care about and don't let the talking heads influence, uh, you know, your future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it 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 and it does influence your future. People do tend to look at that and listen to that and make decisions on Absolutely. that. Absolutely. This is Dale Stewart with Nature's Edge. Um, Leslie is waving at me and playing music, so we're coming up on a break. We shall return. Got to let that play a little bit, Leslie. You are doing a wonderful job with it, with our music today. I was going to comment on that as well. I'm rocking here. That the, it uh, is. Yeah. A, I mean, we're doing a little head banging here while we're uh, <laughs> while, while we're talking. Uh, our guest today is is Peter Krull, and Peter is the president and founder of Krull and Company, and they are a socially and environmentally responsible investment management firm. But something else about Peter that. Uh, uh, we need to talk about a little bit is his uh, relationship uh, to uh, to his his advocacy of environmental and social issues, and and uh, that's really where I first uh, first met Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we came about, and and uh, Peter, I know you're you're you serve uh, as board chair for the new uh, Mountain True. Uh, tell us a little bit about Mountain True and how it came about and what's going on there. Yeah, I've been board chair for what was Western North Carolina Alliance. Uh, this I'm going into my second term now, second one-year term for this. And what uh, I'm going to tell you initially what the alliance is about is about protecting your water, protecting our mountains, protecting the air. And, you know, we, we all like to get out. We all like to hike. We all like to drink our local craft beer. And... You know, these are things that somebody needs to keep an eye on. The Alliance was founded about just over 30 years ago because there was a couple things going on. Number one, they were looking at um, oil and uh, gas exploration in the mountains, and they also were were clear-cutting our mountains. And um, it it basically grew up from there, a a grassroots organization, to the point where now we're we're probably the largest uh, environmental advocacy group here in western North Carolina, covering everything from Boone 
all the way to uh, to the to the far corner of the state. And over the last several months, we've been going through a process. Uh, ECO, which is an organization out of Hendersonville, and JMCA, Jackson Making Conservation Alliance, out in Highlands Cashers, uh, we all basically got together and said, you know, we're going to be a better organization if we work together. And so we have been going through an extensive process of merging, and as of January 1st of this year, we are now an organization which is called Mountain True. Uh, under our umbrella is everything from um, folks who are foresters and who are working on this current forestry plan right now and you know, pushing back really, really hard in the, National For uh, on the Forest Service. Um, but we also have a, uh, an amazing uh, riverkeeper in, uh, in uh, Hartwell Carson. Hartwell, yeah. Yeah, he's your buddy, I know. Yeah, yeah. we've had Hartwell on the, on the show. Um, our, our French Broad Riverkeeper, we also house, uh, although it's a vacant position right now, the Watauga Riverkeeper up in Boone as well. And so, you know, our work is focusing on advocacy, making sure that the mountains that you see around us are protected. I, I, know, I can tell uh, my listeners firsthand uh, what a great organization they are. Now, uh, Peter, is, uh, is the, um, the Hendersonville and the Cashers Highland, are they going to keep their offices? Uh, yes, the actually, yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's a beautiful office in Hendersonville that yep. we have there, oh, which absolutely. is a, I believe it's a LEED certified it building, is. the whole nine yards. And uh, we're looking to staff, um, not necessarily in Henderson, uh, or not in um, in Cashers Highlands, but out in Franklin. So covering that part of the state as well. And we are, I think our first order of business um, uh, in filling a space is uh, up in Boone and getting that Watauga Riverkeeper. We have, we actually have a southern region director in Hendersonville already. So that, that position is covered. You know, if I didn't have this wonderful radio show and everything else, of course, you know I love to paddle. I might uh, talk to you about that riverkeeper job up in in Boone. You'd be good about. It. You'd but, be good uh, with that. Yeah, and um, you know, my wife would never go with me, but you know, I've I've spent more time living in tents on rivers than <laughs> most people have in their beds. So, I'd I'd be fine. I'm going to talk a little bit. Uh, our show is heard all over the place, but I want to talk just a minute about. Uh, Green Sage Cafe in, in, uh, here in, in, uh, in, in Asheville where we record the show. Uh, uh, I know a little about it. Uh, what's, your, what's your connection to Green Sage Cafe? So when I first moved here to Asheville, basically the coffee shop, which is, which is what it is in downtown Asheville, was uh, served as a, an office for me in a meeting space. And got to know the owner, a gentleman named Randy Talley, who is a really a pioneer in local foods uh, movement here in North Carolina. Uh, he was one of the founders of Weaver Street Market over in Raleigh, and um, also one of the folks who who developed the Earth Fair concept. He was one of the one of the founders there as well, along with his partner um, Roger. And um, Randy and I were sitting down at uh, at a table one day, and he said. I want you to create a basket of sustainable stocks for me. And I said, well, you know, that's not exactly what we do, but, you know, I'll go back to the drawing board. We'll figure something out. And out of that came our Green Sage sustainability portfolio, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, we've got a, a, a great relationship uh, with them. They just recently opened their, their third restaurant over um, in the West Westgate. Westgate uh, yep. Yeah. And, you know, what they... What they really put forth is 
not just organic foods, but also green business. So everything, when, when, when you get a cup of coffee downtown, that water has been heated through solar thermal panels on the roof. Um, when you when you go down to their south location, the the heat that is coming off of the compressors to keep the uh, the coolers cool is being recirculated back to heat water as well. So they've done amazing things in terms of you know energy efficiency. Which I mean, we can all admit that the best kilowatt generated is the one that isn't used. That's is the correct. one that isn't generated, right? That's right. And so you know, energy efficiency is a huge issue, and it's not something we've necessarily talked about. But you know, in terms of our, of our investment uh, portfolio. Energy efficiency is a really important aspect as well. And so Randy and, and Roger have really um, put a focus on that in their Green Sage restaurants. And I, I'm really, really proud to be associated with those guys. Sounds like a couple of guys we need to get on the show. And, Absolutely. And, uh, I can arrange that for yeah, you. Yeah, well, I, I <laughs> will do that. I'll have to uh, – uh, I've met them, but I don't don't know them that well. But, yeah, I, I, I think it's important that people that are actually uh, – Walking the walk, um, absolutely. Uh, talk to other people about that it is possible and that you can do it, and you and you can be a a, a profitable company with that. Peter, we've talked about a lot of stuff today, but it, how, how can people get in touch with you? Or do you have websites, or do you have? I've got all that stuff. Well, well tell people how they can reach you in case somebody wants to. Uh, uh, just sit down and pick your brain a little bit, or maybe even write you a check. Absolutely, I take checks. Um, so our website is www.investwithyourvalues.com. Really easy to remember. And our uh, phone number is 877-235-3684. And uh, you can reach me. You can reach my associate, Neil. And uh, we can answer any questions that anybody might have that's at least a little bit more specific than we could talk about on the radio. Absolutely. And Peter, sort of who is, who is a typical uh, green client? We don't have a typical green client, but who we work with uh, are typically individuals, and they're in the higher net worth area, typically around $250,000 in investments and greater, up, up into the millions. Uh, so they're individuals. They are trusts. Uh, they are business retirement plans. So, you know, a, a, a small business, a small professional business uh, that wants to have a special customized retirement plan, we help with that as well. And we also manage uh, endowments for nonprofits. Mm. Uh, that's a really important aspect for us. And the way we look at that is aligning your investments with your mission. Because if you're a nonprofit that's focused on the environment and your endowment is managed traditionally, I think in a way you're working against yourself. I, yeah, I really agree with that. Uh, we have been talking with Peter today about a lot of stuff, uh, primarily green investing and what that means uh, uh, and uh, to, uh, to a, lot of, uh, a lot of you listeners. And I, I do strongly recommend that you get in touch with Peter and, and we'll, be, uh, we'll be putting more, uh, the information on, on uh, Facebook and on some other locations on, uh, on the show today and how you can get in touch with Peter. And uh, Peter, it's been a, it's been a blast having you on uh, on Nature's Edge, my friend. Oh, thank you so much, Dale. It's been, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. We uh, you know we try to cover a lot of things, and I do want people to know that uh, capitalism is not necessarily a bad word when it comes to sustainability and to uh, environmental issues. This is Dale Stewart with Nature's Edge, and until next time, I hope to see you in the wild. Mm-hmm.